right, let's get to work. I want to invite you to pray with me as we go to the Word. Father God, we love you and we thank you so much for your holy word. It is precious and righteous and true and a firm foundation for us to stand upon. God, as we, as we read your word this morning and as we, as we look at it and try to analyze it and, and see what you're saying to us, I ask that you just open our hearts and minds with humility and clarity, Lord, and work in us the miracle that through the foolishness of preaching, men would believe. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Before I read, I just want to set the stage, if I could. Um, we have been talking about money and possessions for a few weeks now. Uh, the last time I spoke to you, I told you that this particular message uh, would take, be done in two parts, and this is part two. We're looking at true wealth and deceitful riches. And the text I want to look at this morning is a springboard into that topic of true wealth, and that is 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 17. If you have it, say amen. amen. All right, good. So the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and this is one of his letters. It's known as one of his pastoral letters. Uh, they're called pastoral letters because he is, uh, well, the bulk of it is spent teaching Timothy how to be a, a pastor. He's telling Timothy, this is what you need to talk about. This is how you need to address controversy. This is how you need to deal with false prophets and false teachers. This, Timothy, is how you be a pastor. He's got other letters to the church in general. Then he has these pastoral letters where he's talking to Timothy and Titus and, and so on, telling them how to, how to be good church leaders. And this is one of the things that he tells Timothy here in chapter 6, verse 17. Uh, he tells Timothy to teach his flock about this, this topic. And, and because God's truth is universal, it's not true today and not true tomorrow, it's not true in this situation, but not true in that situation, because God's truth is, is universally good, then what is good and right for Timothy to teach to his flock is good and right for pastors everywhere and every when to teach to their flocks. So you're going to hear it today. Amen. Verse 17, Paul says, And as for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That is God's word for his people. Amen. So Paul begins this instruction to Timothy by saying, as for the rich in this present age. Now I have to stop there because there is a great danger that we face when we read this type of passage with modern sensibilities and through modern eyes. The danger comes in thinking that Paul is not talking to us. He cannot be referring to me here, and then we come to this danger of making this conclusion for two different reasons, and they are bound up in the words that Paul uses to address his audience, uh, to address Timothy's audience. It seems that he is referring to a certain group of people at a certain time. He says, the rich in this present age. 
Now let me start with the second one, because we can be tempted here to think that Paul is restricting his instruction to the time period that he lived in. Let me be clear. This present age does not refer to a set of dates. He's not talking about a certain subset of human history. Paul isn't saying this only applies to those of us who are alive at, at this present time. What he's doing is he's drawing a distinction between this age, the present temporary age that we are all in right now, and the next age, which is the age to come, the never-ending, never-dying age of eternity in the eternal kingdom. Paul uses, and I'm not, just, I'm not just making that assumption, I'm taking it from Paul. He uses that same expression in Titus chapter 2. Beginning in verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us, in verse 12, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then verse 13 is the real kicker. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this present age consists of all time spent waiting for our blessed hope, which is the appearance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Paul is talking about all of time, which is past, present, and future, that is on this side of the second coming of Jesus. That's what he means by this present age. Jesus has not come again a second time, so we are in this present age as far as Paul is concerned. So we most definitely cannot conclude that Paul is not talking to us based on a time frame argument. Now, I only bring that up because there are people who like to make that argument. They will take exception to Scripture. They will take exception to certain commandments in Scripture and say, that doesn't apply to me because it was written for a specific people at a specific time in history, and it doesn't necessarily apply to our time. Well, let me tell you, church, those passages are in the Scriptures. There are passages that apply to a specific people at a specific time. They are few, but they are there. This is not one of them. All right? So let's go to the next big one, in, back in verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6. I think that most people who read this passage, when they, they're going to read right past it, thinking it doesn't apply to them, not so much because of the when of Paul's instruction, but because of the who of Paul's instruction. They read this and they think that they are not included in the who. And who is it that Paul addresses his instruction to? The rich. He says, as for the rich. Now, there are very few people in our country that think of themselves as rich. Let me be clear on this. Everyone that lives in this country, with the possible exception of the most extreme cases, everyone in this country would be considered rich by Paul's definition. And, and most of us would be considered rich beyond measure by Paul's definition. We define rich by the guy who has more than we do. We rarely ever define rich by the person who has less. And we're not talking about just purchasing power here, the ability to acquire. We're talking about access and comfort and necessity and lack. We have social support systems that even with the social support systems make you far more wealthy than someone living in the day of Paul. If that were your only subsistence, that would make you far more wealthy than someone living in the day of Paul. So by Paul's definition... I would say that we are 
all rich. By ancient standards, we all live like kings. So, yes, it applies to you and me. That's me and you. The rich in this present age gets what? That's got your name written all over it. All right? Paul says to charge them. This is a commandment. Charge them. This is, not, this is not a suggestion. This is an instruction. Do this. This is a charge. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on, unright- or on the uncertainty of riches. Amen. Now, if you recall, last time we spoke, I, I looked at the, we looked at the parable of the sower. And Jesus is talking about the seed that fell among the weeds. You remember that? This is the seed of God's word. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And it has gone to a person, he speaks about a person who is a, a, a weedy ground, and, he, and it falls among the weeds. This person is the person who receives God's word, he's moved by it, so we can see that there are signs of life within him, there's, there's some little fledgling amounts of transformation in him, but, but there are two things that were like weeds in his heart that grew up and choked the seed of God's word. What were they? Do you remember what they were? They were the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. So just a few verses back from our text this morning, in verse 10 of chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through the, the cra- this craving of money that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the seed that is choked by the deceitfulness of riches. How many people have, just like the man that that he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And the man went away sad because he had many possessions. Back to our text in verse 17. Jesus said, Jesus, in Matthew 6, he spoke about the deceitfulness of riches. And here, Paul speaks about the uncertainty of riches. We have to be humble, he says, not haughty. We must put our hope in God, he says, not in things, not in worldly riches. And, And Paul goes a step further just to make the point. None of it was yours to begin with. It was all richly provided to you by God. Okay, so that's, that's the command. It's a, it's a negative command. It's a thou shalt not command. You know, in the scripture, we generally see two types of commands. We see the do's and we see the don'ts. The thou shalt's and the thou shalt not's. And this is a thou shalt not. Don't be haughty. Don't set your hope in the uncertainty of riches. And then he tells us what that looks like. What does it look like to not be haughty? What does it look like to do that? To not be prideful. To not be puffed up. Let's look at verse 18. He says they are to do what? To do good? And not just to do good, but to be rich in good works. That means abundant in good works. I want to do a little mental exercise with you, if I could. I want you to call to your mind someone who you think is rich. And I mean, I mean really rich. And I want you to think about just how much stuff that person has, how much more stuff that person has than you do, how much nicer that rich person's home is, and how much nicer their cars and toys are, how much bigger their boat is. Trust me, this is a healthy exercise, I promise. This is rich versus you. 
So I want you to pile up all that stuff in one big pile in your mind, and, and then the other pile, I want you to put all of your stuff. And while we're at it, let's just go ahead and compare bank accounts, too. Let's pile all his money, the rich guy's money, up in his pile, and let's put all yours on your pile, and let's see all your money in, in your pile, how little it may be. And I want you to take a step back from both those piles and look at them. On one side, you've got your pile, and I mean, let's be honest, it's not very big by comparison. You know, if that was all we had to go on, if we were just judging you and, and what you have based on what that guy has, it might look like you're barely scraping by. You're barely scraping along because he has so much more by comparison. And then you look over at the rich guy's pile, and man, let's just, that's, just, that's just embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, who needs that much stuff? He's got more than he knows what to do with. Especially, I mean, I'd be embarrassed to have that kind of stuff, especially if the people around me had comparatively so little. It would embarrass me. And I think any decent person, it would embarrass them too. And that's what Paul means when he says to be rich in good works. Embarrassingly rich embarrassingly rich, so much so that people outside the body of Christ should look at you and think, that doesn't make any sense. That's just too much. He's overdoing it. So be rich, Paul says, in good works. Be rich in good works. We are so to be so kind to others, and we are to seek good for them to such an extent, even when they are abusive to us, even when they mock us, even when they don't understand us. Remember what Jesus said? He said that we are to bless those that curse us, and we are to do good to those that hate us, and we are to uh, pray for those that persecute us. Church, that is rich in good works. That is abundant, overflowing, erupting of serious Christian joy. You've got more than enough to go around. You're not just praying for those who deserve it. You're not just praying for those who pray for you. You're not just kind to those who are kind to you. You're not, you've got more than enough for them. Sure, you've got enough to give to everyone who you think deserves it, but you've got it to spare. You are so rich in kindness, embarrassingly rich, that you just hand it out like, like playing cards to, to people who are not nice to you. You are so embarrassingly rich in compassion that you just give it willy-nilly to those who despitefully use you and who abuse you. You're so rich in goodness. It doesn't make sense to the world. Others look at you and they wonder. But you know, Paul, he's not done yet. Because we're still looking at what it, it means to not, not be haughty. He says to be rich in good works. And then he follows that up with to be generous and ready to share. Amen. Be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. So how do we avoid being haughty and prideful and puffed up? What do we do? We do good to others and we are generous and that means we are giving. It is difficult for us to say no to someone in need because we have an attitude of generosity. Remember in verse 17, everything we have was richly provided to us by God anyway. So it's not ours to begin with. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't, I don't really have a problem with generosity, I don't think. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with being generous. And I, uh, I think that most people, most Christians anyway, they probably would define themselves as being generous people. 
On the whole, Christians, we give more of our income to churches and charities than non-believers do. So that makes us, not, not all of us, but on the whole, that makes Christians in general more generous people than our non-believing friends. And that's fine. That's a fine comparison to make if you want your standard of generosity to be the heathen who knows nothing about the treasure and the wealth and the lasting worth that we have in Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't want us to fall into that trap. He doesn't want us to fall into the trap of saying, well, I'm better than that guy. I give more than the heathen, so that must make me generous. No, he, he gives us a qualifier. He wants to make it clear that generosity isn't just about giving more than the guy down the street. He said to be generous, okay, check. And there's one word he uses that trips me up a lot, and I don't think I'm alone with this. Generous, got it. I don't mind helping others. I've done it in the past. Um, so I'm, I'm good there. Most of you probably are too. But then he says to be ready to share. And that's where I have to take a step back and I have to say, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'll be honest with you, this one is hard for me. Ready to share. Not reluctant to share, but ready. Ready to share. Not unprepared to share, but ready. I want to look at both of those, being reluctant and being unprepared. See, many of us, we will share, okay? When it comes right down to it, if, we're, if enough pressure is put on us, if we're guilted into it enough, we will share, right? But we're reluctant to do it. You can know that this is your initial reaction when a need is presented. You can know your reluctance to share if, if, if that is your initial reaction. You're not ready to share. If your initial reaction is to open your wallet or, or even your home, or is, it, or is it instead to close your fist and to tighten things up, does your heart go out with compassion to the needs of the one who has come to you begging, or does your heart instead turn, instead turn to your needs and your desires and your insecurities and your fears? See, we come up with a lot of objections to giving to other people. A lot of objections. We have a lot of so-called legitimate reasons that we use to fuel our reluctance to share. One of the big excuses that we will tell ourselves is that if I give it, then when I need it, I won't have it. Now, I know that I'm sitting in a room full of real people, right? How many of you have ever been there? Am I the only one? Oh, thank you for your honesty. If I give it, I won't need it. I won't have it when I, when I need it. But let me say to you, church, that, um, look, I got to eat this first, all right? So I'm not saying this to be, man, look at you. I, I got to eat this first. And I have already eaten this and digested it, and it has eaten my lunch. But when we go there, when we say, if I give it, I won't have it when I need it, that displays a critical lack of faith and trust in God. You know, you'll go to him and pray to him and trust him to heal your disease. You'll trust him to increase your bank account and to bless you with blessings. You'll say, Lord, I've given my tithes. Now I'm waiting for that pressed down, shaken together, running over. But you won't trust him for your daily bread. Amen. For something as little as that. As little as your daily bread. 
Matthew 6, 25, I got to read a, a large passage here. Jesus is talking and he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Amen. Are you not worth more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows you need it. He knows you need it. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and guess what? You don't have all those things. What things? The, the Cadillac? The three-car garage? The pool in the backyard? What things have we added? All those things. What you need to eat, what you need to wear, what you need to drink, your necessities. All your needs will be met. You don't have to worry about, am I going to make it tomorrow? Am I going to have food on my table? Can I provide for my family? God knows you have need of those things. We like to twist that passage to make it, I mean, we're just going to get riches. We make riches our God that we put our hope in the uncertainty of riches. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. So away with the excuse that if I give it, I won't have it when I need it. Do you not think that if you provide for others out of the bountiful blessing that God has given you, that he will not also provide for you out of his abundant wealth? See, we all talk about wanting to be used by God. Lord, use me as a vessel for your glory. We sing songs about it. Mold me, shape me, use me, fill me, just so long as it doesn't cost me. There's another big excuse that we like to tell ourselves which fuels our reluctance to share. And that is that the person that is in front of us is not worthy of my limited resources. See, most of you have been taught your whole lives that you are not supposed to cast your pearls before swine. And that is good and right and true. That is scripture. The problem is your understanding of what your pearl is. You think your pearl is your money. And let me tell you, it's not. How could it be when Jesus said that will wither and fade and rust and die and steal? Thieves can come and steal it. How could something so valuable and so eternal be so temporary? Your pearl isn't your money. Remember what started this whole thing for me was that Jesus said to give to the person who comes to you begging. And he didn't put any conditions on that. He didn't put any qualifiers on that. But that's exactly what we try to do when we see, when a situation is presented to us, a situation of need, we want to qualify who is worthy of our valuable pearls. And honestly, what we're calling pearls, Paul would say is refuse, dung. Temporary dung. 
There's a modern word for that that's not appropriate to speak from the pulpit. Or any time for that matter. I probably shouldn't have brought it up. Let me offer you just a little bit of wisdom here, though. <clears throat> Some practical wisdom. Just to clarify what I'm saying. It's not always money that you need to be ready to share. Amen. Okay? Amen. Remember, uh, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you. You have to assess each situation on the merits of that situation. Money isn't always the answer. Sometimes money could actually do more harm than good. Sometimes money is the enabling factor of the problem at hand. Maybe you need to share something or share in ways that are far more valuable than money. Maybe you need to really offer some pearls. Maybe you need to share the gospel. Maybe you need to be caring and share of your time. Maybe you need to share of your talent. Maybe you need to share an ounce of compassion. So instead of being ready to share, we're often reluctant to share because if I don't have, we don't have faith in the Lord. If I, don't have, if I give it, I won't have it. And I don't think they're worthy of it. Paul says to be ready to share, not reluctant. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 16, chapter 1. In addition to being reluctant to share, we are also often unprepared to share. So Paul addresses this directly in this, this uh, letter to Corinth. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, in verse 1, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul speaks directly to being ready to share, namely being prepared to share. This is something, uh, he says, to set something aside uh, so that it is available to give. Now let me speak practically about this if I could. I'm going to offer up my own household as an example, not as a means of bragging, but as, as an example, as a way to, to give you a practical view into what Paul is saying here. Cassandra and I, we work on our budget every month when we get paid. We work for the school districts, we get paid monthly, so we sit down monthly and we do our budget together. And the first item that we fill in, the first line item that gets, that gets funded is our tithes. We fund that first. Everything that comes off the top, everything else comes after that. But in addition to that, we also have a line item in our budget that we call giving others. That's what it's named, giving-others. And um, this is where we have set aside a, a specific amount each paycheck for the, the express purpose of giving to others who are in need. Now, anything goes here. Anything can go here. There's any need that we see, any, you know, we both work at school districts, so we are made aware of a lot of different needs. And uh, so we want to be ready and able to give. And I'll tell you what, we just got tired of saying, I wish we could help. We just got tired of saying that. I wish we were in a position to be able to help. And so we started trusting God. And we did that by stepping out in faith and doing what Paul instructed us to do, uh, instructed the Corinthians to do. And we set aside money from each paycheck just for the express purpose of being able to be generous to others. This helps me with that first problem, with reluctance. Okay? This helps me with, I'm not, I'm not worried about if I give it, I won't have it because this is already designated for giving. Amen. 
I've met all my other needs in my budget. We may have had to trim some areas to get something in that line item, but we've done it. Helps me fight against that reluctance. So my, my go-to response now, when, when I, I see a financial need that has come to me, my go-to response is, hey, yeah, we've got, we've got, we can help. You know, the only thing we have to worry about now is, is, is how we spread that out. You know, where's the wisest place to do that? Where we get the most bang for the kingdom buck? Amen. The kingdom bang for our worldly buck? That's the only worry we have now. Is where do, how do we spread that? How, where do we sow that seed? Amen. Amen. Not, not if, but how? Where? And we're joyful in being able to do it. I just got tired of saying, I wish I could help. You know what? We can. We can. Amen. And the Lord said, put aside something every week. Just take a little bit off the top. You know, go, don't, don't go to Brahms on Wednesday night to get ice cream. Take that and put that in your giving to others and see how that, how that works. Do you really need the ice? No, you don't. And that's, we did ice cream every Wednesday night. See, most people, they'll see a little extra money in their budget, and then they'll find some stupid, selfish way to spend it. I can get a nicer car. I can increase my dining out budget. I can buy some new clothes. I can, I can eat that fancy restaurant. We can go to Dallas and have a day. Did you ever stop to think that maybe God is trying to grace you with a little extra so that you can give a little extra? Amen. And here's the real kicker. Paul said to do this. He said to put some money aside for giving, not so that it hurts you, not so that it creates an undue burden for you, but he said, as you prosper. See, most of us, we can find extra money in the budget even after all of our needs are met, most of us can find extra money in the budget as long as we'll take a minute to do the hard work of reevaluating what need really is. I'll be honest with you, I don't need my Netflix subscription. I don't need it. It's not a need. And we'll qualify that, oh, I've got to have that. No, you don't. In fact, if you didn't have that, you probably would have more time to spend reading your word and you'd be more fulfilled as a person for that anyway than the junk that you see on Netflix. We have to be ready to share. You see, God blesses you not to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. Ready, not reluctant, and not unprepared. That's, why, that's what it looks like not to be haughty. It looks like that. Uh, we, we are uh, rich in good works. We are generous and ready to give. That's what not being haughty and puffed up looks like. Finally, back in Timothy 6, Paul tells us what it looks like to not put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. In verse 19, all of this comes to an end result. It comes to true wealth. Any of you ever follow Dave Ramsey, you'll know that uh, he, says, he has a saying that uh, he says that we should live like no one else so that we can give like no one else. And I, man, that's true. I like that. That resonates with me. But I want to, he's talking about saving, you know, living and saving and not, not being extravagant in our expenses so that we can have stuff to give. And we need to be mindful of that. You want to be mindful of the debt that you incur. Is that going to strap you so much that you can't be generous into God's kingdom? If it is, it's bad. You shouldn't do it. Period. All this has an end result of true wealth. He says, live like no one else so you can give like no one else. And I want to flip that on its head and tell you that the scripture promises you that if you give like no one else, you'll live like no one else. 
We're promised that. Look at verse 19. He says, Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the end result. This is, this is putting our hope in God, doing good, it being embarrassingly rich in good works, ready and able to share. We store up treasure for ourselves as a good future foundation. This is what Jesus talked about when he said, don't store up your treasures on earth, but store them up in heaven. He's not against wealth. He just wants you to have wealth that lasts. Amen. True wealth, the wealth of heaven. And then Paul says, so that. I love when he says, so that. It just connects everything together. Do this in order to get this. Amen. So that. Look at this. He says, store up treasures uh, for yourselves as good foundations for the future, so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Our generosity, our, our rich kindness, our readiness to share, it makes us able to seize upon that which is truly life. We can seize on the true riches of God. We can share in unspeakable joy and fullness of glory. Amen. There was a, a missionary to Ecuador named Jim Elliott who was killed for the, the gospel in 1956 along with four other missionaries. Some of you are old enough to remember that. It was big news. He is quoted as saying something that I think... Uh, Christians should really take to heart. And I mean really take to heart because it, it really embodies the hope and the certainty and the true treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. It really brings down to earth what Paul said when he said, I count it all as loss. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that for you again because I want you to marinate in that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep and there ain't nothing here you got that you're going to be able to keep. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. I've run out of time. I'll wrap it up here. I, I, um, I do hope I'm not boring you with this. I... <laughs> I believe it's so very important to our walk with the Lord. It's so very important to how we present Christ to the rest of the world and how, how we make the kingdom of God seem like something, how we make it appear to a person who is lost and dead in their sin and doesn't know anything but darkness, how we make it appear as light and beautiful and glorious and rich and worth pursuing. And I think it's bound up in, in our embarrassingly rich acts of kindness. So be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. In doing so, you store up real lasting treasure in heaven as a good foundation for the future. And you seize hold of that which is truly life, true wealth. Let's pray. Father God, in your holy name, we thank you for your word. And I thank you for this time that we've had together. God, I pray once again that you allow this word to sit and rest on our hearts. Not, and let it fall on good soil, Lord. Let us be changed by it. Let us be moved by it, Lord, to do better. Lord, we love you and we ask that you protect us as we go our separate ways. Bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.